Andon san saubrebi. Ah, dit is een day, dit is een C, dit is een gesprek, dit is een A, D, C, gesprek. ABC Talks. Sveikinosi su jumis jau dešimtą kartą Andropaudijos studijoje. Dešimtą kartą, reiškia, jau dviženklis skaičius ir šiandien turim du svečius. Ir nuo šiol kalbėsiu užsienietiškai, kad suprastų ir svečiai, ir tikiuosi suprasti ir jūs. I want to welcome Claire McNally and uh, Giorgio Avaliani. Giorgio Avaliani. Giorgia, that's the way it's usually. Giorgio Avaliani. But Giorgio sounds like way fancier. Um, I feel like expensive when you say that. Claire was just asking me, so what? what's the theme? We have nothing in common. <laughs> well, we're all in advertising, so we have something in common. Claire is uh, originally from South Africa, living in Denmark, teaching in Denmark and in Vilnius as well. Uh, we have Georgi in town for the ADC festival and we had him in Palanga for the uh, uh, creative brief contest. Oh yeah. So can you can you guys just introduce yourselves and tell our listeners like uh, who you are, what you're doing and what's your story? Okay, sure, I'll start. Yes, please. Um, as you know, my name is Claire McNally and I'm from South Africa, so I say yeah a lot uh, in this podcast, I'll probably say it. Um, I started out uh, in advertising in the 90s as a copywriter and I, before that I studied uh, English literature uh, and I did a postgraduate uh, course in advertising and I worked in South Africa for about eight or nine years, uh, mostly at TBWA uh, Hunter Scars. And then I moved to Amsterdam uh, to work at 180. It was called 180 back then. And uh, worked there for a year and a half or so. And then decided, decided to study uh, art <laughs> out of the blue. Um, and I uh, did that for a couple of years, four years. And then I worked as a graphic designer and freelanced as a copywriter as well and started teaching. And uh, I was teaching for Miami Ad School in Amsterdam for about seven years. I also taught for them in uh, New York and Miami, and then I moved to Denmark in 2013 because I was guest teaching there before, and they asked me to be an associate professor. So I went to teach at a university there called the Danish School of Media and Journalism, DMJX, for some reason. Nobody knows why it's called that with the X. And um, I was there for two years, and then I went freelance again. Oh, sorry, I became a credit director in an agency in between for two years, and then uh, started freelancing again. Yeah, so a very on-off career, but mostly working in advertising and teaching advertising. Nice. Well, can you beat that now? No way. There's no way I can beat that. I'm, I'm thinking I have a few like wild cards, but yeah, this is too much. Pull yeah, them out, Georgie. I'm going to try to like, yeah, just going to spend more time on, on uh, like expanding on this amazing, yeah, this, this is like very impressive. Okay. For me, yeah, like advertising just yeah happened by accident, you know. I didn't really expect it because I went to uh, business school and I actually was accepted was yeah, when I was 16 because of the glitch in the system because I had to yeah go to school like one year less than usually. Uh, yeah, and I studied finance and uh, then I watched movies for like six months straight and then I got a friend like Levan, like we also know, and he just offered me a job at some place which sounded fun and then yeah, I guess kind of like got started with like Livingstone which was a very small agency back then and we grew together uh, into this giant corporation that is uh, <laughs> now but yeah, kind of like won the first awards uh, with those guys and um, 
Yeah, it was a kind of like wild adventure. And after uh, six years, uh, six months and like six days, I decided to quit uh, and uh, do some weird things on my own and then like joined up uh, with a former teammate to start holding motors and I think the entire thing like quitting with uh, with like Livingstone was to have a cooler agency name so <laughs> we just went with <laughs> <You> that succeeded. <laughs> and it's been a really wild really wild ride with this because we're pretty much trying to invent the wheel ourselves and it's very tiresome sometimes but we also have a few kind of like side hustles which keep us focused, like this illegal uh, chacha business, which, uh, yeah, I have no idea why we invest so much time in this, but it's a really fun uh, creative outlet. So, uh, yeah, it's usually the wild card is that I you run into. You need to explain to the legal chacha what, business. Chacha, you know? So, chacha is a very dangerous homemade drink, which is kind of like a very recycle, yeah, <laughs> recycling friendly because. Like when you make wine, you've got a lot of leftover grapes and that's, I mean, pretty much the trash. And you use that to, to make some samagonas, uh, some chacha. And it sounds... It's closer to grappa, right? Grappa. And I'm pretty sure like every culture has it. It's not very uniquely the Georgian, but I think we're the most proud of this <laughs> invention. You need to mention the name of it. That's the true wild oh, culture. Uh, Podishi is the name of it, actually, and in Georgian, the, it means uh, I'm sorry. And I, like, I like saying it. Yeah, yeah, true. Podishi is the best is the best word you can say, I guess, <laughs> like these days in Georgia, because there's so many uh, stuff that we're doing wrong, and it's probably become the most popular word these days. Cool. So we're not. So now, by now, the listeners should probably understand why I used the opportunity of <laughs> <laughs> having you in town and then bringing you. It's actually it's actually a second time this week that I'm in the studio. It's a drop audio. Like, could you guys? I mean, we need to use the, the opportunity. We have these cool people physically here. Um, so I don't know. What's the theme? I don't know. It's just that uh, I I really wanted to recreate this. Um, this mood that you have when networking, when going on a jury to a different country, when meeting new people, when going outside, having dinners and just talking freely uh, and uh, discussing your careers, discussing the work that you admire, your work, somebody else's work. So I was thinking, okay, I'm going to recreate that without the wine <laughs> or beer. Good luck Maybe with Maybe you have romances. chacha in your back. Of course I do. Of course I do. I, I was saving I was it up for later, but I don't know. Yeah, let's bring it out. You have it here? Yeah. Ah. That, was, that was actually a joke, but okay, I'll, yeah, I'll play with it. Yeah, because you, we drank your chacha last time in Poland. Yeah, I gave all it to students. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm now holding chacha that you says, got a new one. I'm can, sorry. Can you pose with it? Okay, <laughs> And I've heard that you don't drink anymore. I'll, I'll, I'll which is have just a sip, but uh, okay. yeah, kind of. Wow. Yeah, like save it for the apocalypse. That could also work. So. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just going to read to the listeners what it says. It says flammable chacha. I'm sorry. A hundred percent effective solution against sobriety. It's <laughs> a little ad for your chacha. <laughs> oh, that sounds, that sounds just what the like doctor ordered. I'm exactly. pretty sure that. That's and I'm not sorry. <laughs> And uh, nice. yeah, that explains. <laughs> so, <laughs> how uh, we normally gather the people, like uh, pick the jurors, or you know, 
headhunt the jurors, mm. recruit the jurors. I don't, don't even know the word to use for this. Uh, tempt them, lure them into this trap of <laughs> seduce them. <laughs> Sounds seduce, very yeah, like, yeah. internationally Entice spy them. stuff. Yeah. Entice it, them. Because it's all about this. Um, personal relationship and the connection that you made maybe somewhere in some country mm. judging yourself you met somebody you friended them on facebook or linkedin and then say oh i'm gonna call that guy or i'm gonna write to that gal mm. so um and once you try to sell your pick oh, uh you will probably need to tell them oh so they've done this amazing piece of uh, advertising mm -hmm. you expect of course the the other side to know what you're talking about so uh, or you say they've won these and those awards or they've judged uh, this and that festival so when i needed to sell you or uh, to to anyone or if i needed to sell you i would probably point out a few uh, pieces of work that i really admired i didn't know they were done by you and then i met you guys in person so oh I need to die. <laughs> so um, when I think about Claire's work, the the one uh, that stands out for me, I she noticed that I love driving. Uh, I I used to own a BMW, so mm -hmm. but that that uh, classic BMW BMW M5 mm. um, uh, ad with a Sonic uh, or the, how, the how bullet you, car. The bullet car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Can can you tell us about that a little bit? Oh, yeah. First thing I'll say is that, that ad is actually almost 21 years old, which blows my mind, literally, because I can drinking show... Drinking age. The drinking age, In exactly. America. Yeah, <laughs> People weren't born now who can drink and do illegal stuff, and they see the same ad. Um, yeah, so the ad was made without CGI. Uh, it was also not banned. It was mentioned that it was banned many times because it's illegal driving, and it's like the idea of hyperbole seems to have escaped a lot of people. Um, yeah, so the ad was made in uh, 1999, That's, Actually, that's how old I am in advertising. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So maybe that's why it strikes a chord with you because maybe it was very fresh. Yeah. So we made it. Um, it was the only ad actually that BMW made that year. And in those days, uh, we had set teams and you had a closed door. And you worked really hard on one ad for two weeks. And we were told that it had to be brilliant because it was the only ad they were doing. No pressure. And actually, they, um, we wanted them to buy another ad. Um, so we sold that one in and then our creative director came back to us and he said, no, I really think they should go with your second choice. And we were mad as hell. And um, eventually, uh, yeah, he convinced us somehow, but we were still angry. Yeah, so we shot that ad. Um, it came out extremely well. But um, honestly, if I think of all the things that could have gone wrong, I mean, they built that bullet car from scratch. The guys that build those kind of cars built that for this ad and it actually worked. But it stopped working straight after that take, one take. The parachute stopped working after a take. The guy that was supposed to do the sound was the same guy that did the sound for Volvo Hurricane, uh, a previous very big car ad. And he was asleep on the job. <laughs> he seemed to really like the cha-cha. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it was very interesting. But, um, yeah, but it was great. And I think um, one of the highlights for me was actually seeing that ad as an audience member at the cinema. Because obviously, you know, cinema then was a big deal and we'd done a lot of sound work on it, a lot of sound work. And one of the um, things that we'd done was uh, create kind of a reverb on the seat. So when you sit in the cinema, your seat would actually shake a little bit. Um, and that's Ooh. something you could do, which we didn't know. And in those days, you had to go to a separate sound studio to do cinema sound. And it was the first time I'd done cinema sound. 
And then to sit as an audience member watching a movie and your ad comes up like that. Ah, super highlight. Yeah, it was Can great. You? And you drive all the cars. I love driving fast. So, love <laughs> Yeah, That's beautiful. Can you turn that TV ad into a radio ad for us now? <laughs> Can you try oh, yes. <laughs> translate it into a radio uh, medium? Well, didn't I do that at Creative Brief Session? <laughs> the yeah, sound but wasn't we working. weren't recording. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do the um, reverb too. What? Uh, yeah, I guess I could, but it won't be very good. Uh, I already turned it in. I did the sound effects in a, a recent talk because the sound wasn't working, and I would say sound is about thirty uh, percent of that ad. Um, okay, imagine you pitching it for the first time. You, you're telling the idea. You haven't shot it yet, and you're telling the idea to somebody. Uh, okay, so you imagine no you visual. see. Imagine you see a bullet car from close up, and then you wonder who's shooting it. You don't know. Reveal. It's a BMW. No, that's too fast. No, where's the build-up? That's the where's pitch. The... No, yeah, that's... no, no. That's how we sold it. Imagine, in the... imagine the bullet car and it's going <laughs> full speed, you know, and somebody's filming it. Yeah. And once it stops, you see who was filming it. It was uh, the camera was fixed to a BMW. Uh, I think for me it M5. was just <laughs> like. <laughs> Okay. That's yeah, maybe amazing. I just saw it too many times. <laughs> yeah, but maybe that that kind of footage of those uh, speed racing cars was um, quite cliched in those days. And what I just realized when we came up with the idea was you never saw them close up. Yeah. So that was what popped into my head, and I was like, "Oh, that would be cool," uh, because the whole way through you would be wondering. It's weird. You would you would know that you'd seen this before, but you'd be wondering why you feel different about it. And that's exactly what happened. And it's a brilliant piece of editing and filming because we had a lot of discussion about would people immediately think something was wrong? Uh, you know, why am I seeing this car so close up? But the odd thing is you don't. You just accept it. And you kind of go, wow, I'm super close to that car. And <laughs> only about after a few seconds you start to think, oh, what's filming this? Um, so it worked out brilliantly, but that's the thought that popped into my head uh, when we did it. Yeah. It really reminded me of this classical um, Volkswagen ad mm. about the snowplow. Mm. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Uh, how they get how the guy the who plow, go, yeah. yeah get to the snowplow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's but, a good, yeah, that's the idea. And but in those days, I mean, th those were the kind of commercials we were up against, you know, and um, we were expected to do something that would be very exciting. And that's actually why our creative director wanted to go for this ad and not our first choice. I mean, it's amazing. We thought our first choice was better than this one. What was it? Um, yeah, I, I can't explain it since <laughs> I did such a great job of explaining the actual <laughs> ad. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it was weird because we'd worked on BMW for a while. So, I mean, what we were told was it's a very fast car. You know, and that's quite hard to that's make good. an ad for because that's not very specific. So what we did was we thought of previous ads we'd done like for dynamic stability control or for airbags or for steering or whatever. So we actually had come up with an ad for dynamic stability control. Um, anyway, long story short, I'm very glad that first ad didn't make it. And uh, yeah, but it was exciting and it was, uh, yeah, everything happened. It was, it was great. Yeah. But that really happens a lot, I guess. Like, I remember my first days in advertising. I remember my creative director picking, even not uh, after the client has chosen the idea, just pre I present the ideas, I have my favorite, and normally the creative director would go for something else, for my less favorite idea. Mm. And initially I would be a bit annoyed and like, how can he see what mm. I see in it? But then eventually it would end up uh, being a better choice and 
Yeah, for us, so, it was was not really like that. Mostly, he just did what we said. Okay. And this was the only time he didn't. Is, is it because it's South Africa? It's uh, like a... <laughs> Reverse dictatorship. <laughs> like you, you have uh, summer when we have winter, so <laughs> the creative director does what the copywriter says. <laughs> no, not the copywriter, the team. I think he, he would ask us, he would say, which one do you guys like? And then we would tell him, and then he would look at it and say, yes. Literally, that's okay. mostly what okay. happened. And this was, this was, I mean, obviously we'd been working there for a while, but this was maybe the one time he didn't do that. And we were we were angry, like I mean, like not happy at all, like not just upset. We were really angry, and and Jan and I had a long conversation about how to convince him. So we had a separate meeting with him where we told him for an hour, and he wouldn't <laughs> budge. And no, but he was right. But the, what he was right about was the excitement value of the ad. So, um, for example, that ad apparently it ran in a bar somewhere. Like these are the days before the internet. And uh, it came on during a commercial during a cricket match in South Africa. They love cricket. And apparently the, the ad came on uh, and they all apparently clapped after the ad, the whole bar. And I mean, that's what he that's what he could see that we couldn't see was the excitement level of it. And the other ad was just more intellectual and more clever. Um, but it lacked that raw kind of uh, adrenaline rush, you know. So uh, it was definitely the right choice. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, yeah, enough that, about like, that ad. Yeah, it's. Tw- it, I just love the fact that it's twenty years old, and I show it now even at creative brief session, and like there's like fans in the audience who are like you know younger than the ad. No, but like you, but there's there's some of the students, and they're like younger than the ad. I mean that's insane. It's like <laughs> what happened? But I almost wish they would remake it because it's such bad quality, and the only version I had was on Umatic. <laughs> you know, which is the size of like hand luggage. You know, I mean, it's huge, uh, umatic. Um, so I don't even have a. I'll a, need to Google that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Romantic. Um, <laughs> you do that with a umatic. Um, yeah. So it's it's an old ad, but it was nice. And um, uh, kudos to the creative director for uh, spotting spotting that. Yeah. And the director did a fantastic job. Fantastic. Uh, it was Egg Films, um, and he totally put everything into that ad and it launched his career as well yeah nice and i hope our listeners are googling this right now yeah. like, bmw what's, what's land speed <laughs> okay. land speed recorder so yeah. you oh sorry youtubing that <laughs> youtubing <laughs> what did you say <laughs> googling again <laughs> oh, yeah. but i just got like goosebumps by listening to the description of the ad because i mean like yeah that's a very cinematic idea when you just tell about it so and yeah. this trick, I, I know it, it sounds cheap, maybe, mm. right? But but it works. <laughs> it works brilliantly. It works. And, yeah. and unfortunately, um, you know, since then, I mean, remember, those were the days before the internet, right? So if you were in South Africa, if something hadn't won at DNAD or somewhere else and you saw it in a book uh, or you had traveled and seen it, you didn't see it. And then later, in a couple of years after that ad, people kept coming out and saying, oh, but we did something sort of like that with a land speed car once, but they could never really show the ad. And it was just really annoying because, I mean, first of all, why on earth would you make an ad that you knew had already been done? Nobody would do that. Um, but those days, it was quite tricky uh, to tell. You couldn't just Google land speed <laughs> BMW. Exactly. So um, you had to be first and you had to claim first. And the only way often you could claim it was if you won an award. Um, and this ad, actually what happened was it was picked up by um, BMW North America as well. So they got a super sweet deal. Two weeks of work by a little South African team and it ended up running globally. And it's still on YouTube and has like millions of views from 1999. 
Awesome. <laughs> Anyways, I've done other work, so one, right. just one. Yeah. And now let's go to Georgia. All right. So what's what's uh, the piece of work that you're most proud of? Ooh, that's really hard to tell. I, I think uh, when it comes to when I felt the most excitement, there's like one thing that it kind of like launched our careers, like most of the people that you probably know kind of like put our agency and also the country on the map. The, uh, the ad that got us the first lion was probably like, we didn't really believe whether that is like possible from Georgia to do something that's noticeable enough. And it took hours of just questioning our motives. Uh, and there's a, a thing uh, we did like recently, which was a really quick thing, but I feel um, how it got like noticed was like something really sweet about it. So let's start with the first one. So narrate. Okay, uh, so... Uh, <laughs> He's had time to think now. <laughs> yeah, because it was something that uh, I feel... I mean, I, I I still remember the excitement where we were like working on the case film, actually, that I c- couldn't believe that this was something that we could do from here as well and not from the epicenter of the civilization. So we just... I mean, like, Georgia was just getting its first uh, craft beer, and that's, uh, we don't really know what's the like, concept behind craft beer is because we are used to drinking like shitty beer that we have. Uh, so the craft beer had a really interesting like sound to it and they called it 34. And the name of the brand, it was really, gen- I mean, we didn't really understand the, the motives behind it, but they explained it's made from three hops and four types of malt. So it's not very, it's not that creative, but it's, Mysterious. So uh, they, uh, I mean, the company, they had a different agency who was, uh, which was doing the TV and everything pretty much. And we were like Living Snow, like back then, we were called in uh, just to um, bring some internet zest into the deal. And I remember, I mean, the first meeting uh, our strategy had just pitched, oh, maybe let's sell this beer for like 34 like Laris, which is uh, in uh, dollars, I think it's around like 10 and usually beers in Georgia go for like $1. So it's like 17 times, like kind of way more expensive than a beer should be. But was that 34 because of the three hops and the four malts? Yep. Ah. So, uh, Just checking. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that's how it ended up and the company kind of like went with it uh, so yeah maybe we could sell it for a week in very select locations for this amount of money but then the huge question came up what do we do with the people to, who actually go buy it so like nobody really knows how many of those people will be or will it actually happen because we're not the most economically advanced country to have like people spending so much money on beer and it's beer right it's not a mm. very big thing uh, and uh, after uh, and it's Georgia so yeah and it's Georgia <laughs> and you've got Chacha already so, and so, hey. we're yeah like more like a wine country <laughs> of course and Chacha is also a huge portion of it and we don't have any expectations of our own selves whether this idea will, will like work or not this is the first time probably we're all yeah, doing this stuff and uh, it was the first meeting after the first meeting the internal one that it's just kind of like escaped as a joke or like if somebody really does buy this beer we should give him a statue and then after that joke, we spent like two weeks uh, coming up with alternative ideas. Maybe we should have these people run a bar and maybe that's a reality show or something. But still, I'm really glad that we went back to this original joke that I had. That's let's give these guys some statues in the street. And uh, we didn't have much time. So we had to have three different artists uh, engaged and treated like 
different styles of statues and they don't really look too real uh, but uh, after the launch we had around like five days to get it done so the first three people got actually this honor and nobody uh, knew how we're gonna put these like statues up as we're doing it because maybe this the city has a very special rule so it was very extreme to get actually all these things into reality but it turns out you can put anything up in a city as long as you call it a flash mob which was like something the city mayor uh, was kind of like familiar with the idea of this flash mob this This is 2015 ish Really? Wow. Yeah, so yeah, still, I think like flash mobs came a bit later to Georgia because it's, yeah. Just a tad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. So Mountain, seas, you know. Yeah, yeah. they had to travel, they had to travel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was very easy to explain to them. Uh, so we turned it into a flash mob of some kind, inviting these people uh, who, I mean, there's, uh, there was around 200 people who actually bought this beer during this one week which was huge number for us we did not expect that but the first three got like we had some photos of them taken in like secret which is probably in like invasion of privacy now gdpr yeah (laughs) this is not you do today please don't uh and we had them like up uh, and the statues were getting made as we speak with like a lot of like weird uh tasks we had to go through to to actually get these like statues from the artist's place into the city center just in time we Mm. chose three different places and three different statue openings that's a lot yeah, for for extremely inexperienced people. How big but were these statues? And they were big, kind of like noticeable big. Life size. Yeah. Really? No, I, I think even uh, I got some pictures, but yeah, they were like really big. I mean, they had these like pedestals going on for them, and it said uh, "Glory to those who love beer." Wow! So it's not probably the best line that we've come up with, but that was like I something that we this beer. <laughs> actually. So it was a like surprise; people didn't know that. So we invited these uh, three people to actual opening of their own statues. So then, yeah, that was the the greatest, like funnest part. They had they they couldn't explain why this was happening to, to them and probably they just like went with it and one of those guys took the their statue at home which is pretty cool another one uh, donated one? yeah mm. he donated the statue to a bar and the third one wasn't a fan so he just left it at the beer factory which it <laughs> still is so it, it was something like our like pyramid that we built which is going to outlast us all no, it's like a big voodoo doll for the guy who hated this statue <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> pretty much so that was the first uh, shot at the moon that we took and it actually got noticed by Ken Lyons the first bronze that there like ever was for Georgia and we felt that this is like something an mm. accomplishment my parents still was were very skeptical of my pro- professional choice but yeah that's probably something that you get yeah because if you tell parents you want a bronze lion they're like Yes. <laughs> yes. They, yeah. They're not. They you, don't even know what that is. You made these Africa, three maybe they huge statues to get this small <laughs> <Yeah>. one, <laughs> and they still were trying to pass it off as a can prize with their friends because they know the Cannes Film Festival. So oh, like you wanted for a film a about the statue. Yeah, yeah but after mm. a while it kind of like didn't really pass so I had to win some more stuff just to try maybe uh, the lion is not doing for them. Maybe we yeah. should get some different shapes like statues but still it's a... Yeah, a huge disappointment for them. Yeah. But I mean, this like one like recent thing that we did, kind of like really quick, just took like an hour maximum. Was mm. that uh, yeah? Recently, we had this huge 
protests against LGBT pride in, in Tbilisi. Probably you got that too, like these people who are trying to run for the sanctity of like family and like stuff like that. But in oh, Georgia, yeah. it got really aggressive. It's not about the family. They're just like, people running country, uh, without any control in the street. And uh, since there was no LGBT uh, march like happening, uh, the pride, they actually attacked the journalists. So they got, uh, I don't know, like 50 of them injured and beaten up really badly. And one of the guys actually passed away after this. So that was a really huge uh, thing because the TVs were trying to yeah, just like look into the issue and to give uh, space to the people who are not usually represented uh, on like regular like TV programming. Mm. So that was a huge um, uh, tragedy that was yeah, going on in the country for uh, a few weeks. And yeah, right when this march was happening, um, uh, yeah, the entire industry was really shook. And so we decided to do like something about it. And usually we do memes and stuff. But I think, yeah, this time yeah, we, like with the TV involved, mm. it seemed like as if the TV people had taken on this, uh, have become the shield for the issue and also kind of like shared all the pain that the LGBT community usually has in uh, a, a country like Georgia. So we decided to do something like about it and uh, just uh, turned uh, the, the TV rainbow, which you could have... Yeah, probably seen into an actual like rainbow colors mm. and have one of the actually two TV stations just like call them maybe this is a nice thing that you could run during this time and the message ran was that love will win and mm. that was as simple as that and it kind of interrupted the programming okay. like every ad section and for like 10 seconds it ran like and a moment of silence right yeah the, yes the entire respect. day and it wasn't uh, like that silent it was quite uh, like noticeable with the signal like static mm. yeah so yeah that was like something that got noticed and in the, in the community that is uh, was like well shared and like seen as a uh, another visible simple uh, less symbol of support mm. so that was like something that I guess we have this power to do and the connections why not we doing this more to connect people without even the monetary it has this uh, the whole like second layer of just you you lose a journalist and you lose the signal so it's static and mm. like, oh. so yeah, that was yeah something that was just this all happened so quickly and there's probably way more that we can do as professionals as an industry to push the issues that are very sensitive in, in, in the country but as a response I think we're we're not usually this quick mm. to react okay Claire just mentioned uh, her parents and how they wouldn't understand the, the whole uh, festival obsession or mm. the, the I don't know, it's this ego uh, that's fed on uh, lions and other trophies, <laughs> all kinds of metal. I mean, did you uh, did you have any difficulty explaining your career choices to your parents? Like, mm. um, well, they since I was little, I've always kind of known what I want to do, whether it's this or something else. And my parents have always just asked, "What do you want to do, Claire?" And then I tell them, and then I do it. <laughs> From when I was like four, I don't know why. I just always knew what I did and didn't like. So I said I wanted to go to university and study journalism. Uh, and there was only one school that actually had that in South Africa. So it was super expensive, like quite complicated. And my dad said, oh, okay, Claire, 
then you go and study journalism because what are the options, right? Um, but after that, um, during that time, South Africa was actually very political. So they had um, uh, the emergency regulations and you actually had to study media law, which was literally just all the emergency laws around media, like, I don't know, hundreds of them. Um, and the government was actually just blacking out uh, half of articles. And um, I don't know, I just kind of sat back and I thought like, am I really this political? Is that really what I'm signing up for here? Because journalism to me was about writing stories and what I really enjoyed was combining text with visuals. Um, yeah, so back to explaining to parents. So then uh, what works with parents is telling them that if I finish this degree, I won't get a job uh, because all the emergency laws kept changing. I didn't feel I was very political and you didn't leave university with a portfolio. So I couldn't see how you would actually get hired if you weren't going to be very political. So I told my dad, if I go and do a postgraduate degree in advertising, I promise you I'll get hired the minute I graduate. So he said, mm, all right, Claire. So off I went, uh, did that and got hired. And I think they understood that advertising was words and pictures together. Uh, you can make a lot of money if you're successful. Um, and the terrible ads you see on TV are advertising, but our daughter doesn't make those. <laughs> I think that was really the only... <laughs> <laughs> My mother was always asking, who made that ad, Claire? And I said, oh, that's a bad agency, Ma. Don't worry about them. You know, and um, she would always ask, like, where are your ads? You know, because as if I think they often thought that, that we could do like 50 ads a week or something, you know. And I don't think they understood that sometimes, you know, you would do brochures in those days or you would do uh, pictures or your ads would get rejected many times. So for us to produce, let's say, four big TV ads in a year was massive. And for them, it's like, well, what the hell do you do all day? You know, <laughs> this crazy job that you're so busy at. Um, yeah, so my parents were always asking me who did what ad. And um, and then I would show them my ads on a reel and they would go, oh, that's nice. And then just carry on with whatever they were doing. It was very odd. Yeah. But um, yeah, because my father was a lawyer and my mother was a music teacher and a librarian. So I don't think they really understood what I was doing <laughs> and even and even my friends like who are not in advertising they couldn't understand the obsession like yeah so and it was obsession and it is obsession yeah <laughs> but yeah I don't know Georgia what did your parents think of advert do they know now what it is <laughs> you know I've tried really hard and kind of like spent some time on actually getting them familiar with what the standard of advertising these days is but it's usually over uh, some dinners and they don't really care about yeah like all they care is about is like more wine I guess during those times but mm. uh, like it's a thing that I've been kind of every single human being in my family is a physician including my my sister now and they've kind of like been pushing me into that direction or at least expecting something uh, like something that would be like more beneficial to the humanity as a whole but it's like you know like doctors mm -hmm. so and um, and then the decision to go to a business school instead of going to this like medical school was a huge disappointment to my mom but my dad was like okay i'm so happy for that decision because yeah like you know dads are like that like doctor dads are not usually pushing their sons into a lifetime of caring about others <laughs> so mm. i I think my mom still has uh, this kind of idea that I could do more um, about with the the creativity side of my life. Mm. But I think the biggest accolade I ever got from them when I showed them our new like offices, which are in this old part of town, like rundown building, but from the inside we uh, we have this like 
weird furniture like a table which is 150 years old so I think that did it for them so like at least he's got a nice office <laughs> yeah he made it <laughs> so yeah it's like come there yeah. I'm still but it, I've just remembered now that actually I think my parents it's actually funny I just remembered now when I moved to Denmark right and I was working at the university I got this title associate professor I'm not actually sure why I got that title because apparently you're supposed to do something like some masters or other stuff to get it but I think to associate. Yeah, the, to associate with. But I think my previous uh, boss, she had explained to them that I'd already published a book, which I had. So that classified as academic literature, even though it wasn't. And my years of experience counted. So I told my parents that I was an associate professor. And that, wow, they were super proud of that. <laughs> well, and they couldn't yeah, believe yes, that their little Claire was now an associate professor. So the can line didn't even register. It was like, whatever. But when I said I was an associate professor, that was that was the Grand Prix right there. Yeah. Same That's here. Really I, I, I remember, for example, the titles. Like, you explain your parents what is a copywriter? What do you copy there? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so you don't copy. Yeah. Is that like a copyright? Yes. So like, no, no. And what do you write? Like, uh-huh. which part of the ad <laughs> do you write? <laughs> it's like, okay. and But then they got the creative director bit. Oh, it has the director. Ah, you're the boss. So, ah, okay mm. now. It's a bit better. Yeah, and I remember... Yeah, they loved that too. Again, the, the, the same questions about the ads on TV. Like, so, is this yours? No. No, this is just a bad ad. No, no. Which one's yours? Or or they would point out a bad ad yes. and say like, oh, that I saw a very nice ad. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was you. Like, no, it wasn't. It's bad. It's terrible. <laughs> but I mean, there's almost a job to be done there because, you know, in South Africa now, there's a guy, um, he's a creative director in an agency and he's trying to get all the young black youth in high school. So before they reach university, he's trying to show them what advertising is and he's uh, it's great what he's doing. He has a whole program called Blackboard um, and it's really like young kids, like 15 years old. And the reason he goes in and tries to get them then is because their parents do not, I mean, so nothing has changed. Their parents do not think it's even remotely viable for their like 15-year-old kid to go and study advertising. They want them to be lawyers, doctors, architects, like real jobs, you know. So he goes in and he shows them especially things like photography, filmmaking, production, sound engineering, all the related fields to creativity um, and gives them value. And then those kids could kind of train their parents that this is actually a good industry. But there's for an industry that talks about communication, I mean, we're useless. I mean, nobody knows the par- how could all these parents not know what we do and yeah this is like always comes up during those conversations during dinners because it's like a very common theme in forming of an advertising person's like psyche that what will our parents or do they mm. ever get this yeah but I, I believe that that's why advertising has so many awards because if we don't award ourselves who is going to <laughs> you know like a doctor gets to see somebody live and an architect gets to see a building and a lawyer sets somebody free and what do we do you know we give ourselves prizes and then we feel like we are important um, and I do think that's why the ad industry has so many awards because if we didn't give ourselves prizes who would for oh, Instagram stories that disappear in 24 that's hours. Well, now, yes. Yeah. <laughs> now we're getting dramatic. Or ads 21 years, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, like something that like Eric Kessel, our friend, brought up, that it's like advertisers and the first, I mean, uh, the only profession which has more uh, shows are the hairdressers. So that's like wow. when I f- see my friends post like, yeah, we're shortlisted here, we want this. This is always what I think about that. The only other people who are doing this all the time are the hairdressers 
which for them is also I feel yeah. it's a way more satisfaction you actually get a haircut mm. which but do they can, have can do touch. they have like a short list and a really short list <laughs> an even <laughs> shorter <laughs> list yeah they're going for <laughs> all they do is do that so that's a really funny observation that is like he just exp- and like that's why we haven't entered uh, pretty much a workforce for the last like three years that I, I always have that like the moment I'm about maybe we should get a new couch I'm like yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I miss you don't, this I miss you don't this have so any much. moral conscience about judging awards yeah, <laughs> yeah actually I mean the, uh, probably uh, this is the year when we actually gonna get, get down to it and get some case studies together because it's been quite a wild adventure here starting up an agency mm. again like from scratch so but we've been kind of focused on that that's an issue right I mean it's uh, quite easy I, I can you know talk about myself here it's quite easy to submit a TV ad or a print ad you know you translate it you subtitle it and that's it you, you, you just pay for the submission you enter the mm. credits that's done if you need to present something what's considered now um an integrated campaign, an activation, a stunt, something that's actually more interesting. Like the the case you told us about the statues, for example. That's uh, writing a whole new film and producing it. It's an ad for the ad. So it takes time, it takes a lot of resources, it costs a lot of money. And how many of those can you do? And time, I guess, is a thing that is very crucial for us now because we're involved pretty much everything like hands-on and it's would have like just like frozen the agency for a while and I'm thinking we can't actually afford to do this yeah for a while but awards really give that see those space. finance studies pays <laughs> 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 yeah but that's a whole that's a whole discussion about case films and making them I know from a teaching perspective I mean it's quite an art to make a case film and to teach you know young kids how to make case films because mm. they either make them too crazy so you lose the information yep. or they make them too boring so you lose the entertainment um, and basically it's a I always call them like it's like a little sandwich you know so it's like entertainment information entertainment in a little sandwich um, and it's an ad for the ad and then they kind of get it but it's a lot of effort and time and resources I mean if you're smart you should just make posters you know that talk for themselves <laughs> or print go back to the olden days or something but they make a huge difference and you know we saw it this year on the jury all the discussion around case yep. films that's a topic we could talk about um yeah yeah case films actually i think was the best university years for me because i actually had to think why we did this mm, like true. what's the meaning how do we explain it mm. in english in kind of in a way that is understandable for the international mm. jury will they get the insights because from small countries it's usually you feel like you have to explain your entire like context and the history and why are we alive here and what's happening just to make sure that uh, they mm. get the ideas but after a while you you get to a point where yeah it's kind of like there's a lot of things which are like common knowledge and the ideas like this like tv rainbow we have like Pretty much all the statues are very universally accessible. So, yeah. But in the first days, when you start doing that, you don't feel that yeah, like anyone will care about anything that you do. But you you watch those films and you think that they knew from the first minute they started mm-hmm. working on the campaign. They knew the how they would end the campaign. Mm-hmm. They knew every detail of it, so it was all prearranged, very nicely thought out. And now that I listen to you telling the story about the statues. You were playing with it. You didn't know how it would end. And maybe that's why it was so nice and successful mm. and people got engaged and all. Um, do, you, do you think, well, do you, are you honest when you're doing case videos? If you actually didn't know how it would go, would you be, uh, but, but it would 
look a bit smarter if if you actually did, if you were certain and confident. Would, what would you say in a case video? I mean, what do you uh, suggest or recommend to the people who are preparing the case videos? True, yeah, that's... Uh, I feel like honesty is the best part and it's, uh, I guess, also not to bore... Uh, yeah, I feel the best advice I've ever like read or maybe received in my life is that try to explain you know, what happened in the first like 15 seconds of the video. But now that's probably like the, the first six because yeah, when I was starting yeah, uh, pretty much doing this... The human attention was like, span yeah, was a bit longer. Yeah, it was exactly. a bit longer. It's going so, down all yeah, the time. Now it's like maybe straight away. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's. Uh, I think like keeping it honest is good, uh, and you can always hear that like honesty through even the like voiceover. So sometimes because it's like not everyone gets this amazing sonorous voice who does like who tells the story, which kind of adds up this like layer of safety. And we always used to do the voiceovers ourselves, even like me because I was the most fluently. I think yeah, kind of like able to speak some English things. So that. Uh, I guess this honesty and like rawness is like something that um, I really appreciate it now. And rawness—that's rawness. Mm. rawness-ty. Yeah, that's Raw an agency honesty, name right like there. Yeah, rawness-ty. Somebody's gonna do that. That's your next agency. Next agency, Sub agency. Like dynasty, only raw and honest. <laughs> so this is kind of a dirtiness, you know. That uh, that is, I think, is a value that uh, has that uh, sense that yeah, these people maybe are not super high professional machines of doing ads, but they had some nice intentions and that always like stands out. Mm. But I mean, it's a discussion that has been going on for, I think it, I, it feels like at least 10 years about case films. And even at one point at Cannes, they were suggesting almost having a template that people mm-hmm. had to fill in. And I thought that would have been such an interesting experiment. They never carried it through. Um, and it was at the time where I think Crispin Porter were talking a lot about case films and were they good, were they bad. And they had actually asked their creatives to often present their ideas as press releases. This was a couple of years ago, quite a few years ago. Um, and I think they were the agency pushing the fact like, how are we presenting our work? Because it was getting uh, too sexy and the actual work was terrible, but the case videos were amazing. And then they were winning prizes and what was actually getting awarded. Um, what would the clients say seeing that like... The client who knows. I think they would love it because often what happens is they don't pay for the case film, but they're happy to run it on their ah, okay. website. Or yeah, but if, if they weren't well. happy about the work, and then uh, but then still they get the publicity, right? So well, I mean they have to buy the work, obviously. Oh, I mean they okay. have to like the work. Um, that's not how it works here in Vilnius. <laughs> no, we force feed them <laughs> with shitty work. Okay. <laughs> no, these are no. no it's just sometimes act. they buy the idea and then they're a bit disappointed in the execution. And if uh, and like ah okay, and then maybe the business results weren't uh, amazing. Mm. Also, so um, and if you go and win loads of awards with that, they would you know sneer at you. Mm, I probably. Well, I mean, if it didn't get lots of publicity and numbers, it probably won't win anything. But if it does, I think generally they're just quite happy. I mean, they're quite sure, pleased that sure. it won. But I think I think it's an art form in itself. And I think the new generation of creatives, they learn it from the get-go because when they enter DNAD and they enter all these millions of student awards already, um, you know, they get used to it. So they're, they're also very used to summing up a very big integrated campaign, for example, in two minutes. You know, and actually it's one of the things they are almost naturally very good at. 
So that's positive sign. Uh, it used to be like, you know, pulling teeth to get them to do it. But now I notice even in the time, let's say in the last, let's say eight years, it's gone from, you know, they either do epic uh, performances and lose the information completely or they completely lose the plot. And now you, as a teacher, don't actually have to do too much. You just have to give them a few pointers, off they go, and it's brilliant. <laughs> it's quite amazing. So I look forward to seeing how the industry will be in the future. Um, of course, those case films are easier because they don't have real results. And it's quite cute when they make up fake ones. <laughs> it's like 40 million views globally. And it's like, no, you don't, you don't need to say that. It's okay. Um, you know, your teacher saw it. Um, yeah, so those case films. Two billion earned media. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes they do that as a joke. They think it's funny. And I tell them like, no, no, you've got, you got to take that stuff out. It's not real. It's totally fake. Oh, it can't be fake. No, you cannot. It's advertising. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I'm this serious. is the highlight. This I'm is the serious. highlight. Sometimes, like when they're really fresh, they they it's weird what they think. They think it's totally okay to just lie to in lie. a case film, and it's like no. You you say it can't be fake. It's advertising. So <laughs> no, but it. Why not? It's advertising. <laughs> yeah. But I do think I honestly think that that is a bit of a '90s war. It's an old. It's a. It's one of those old things about advertising that's kind of hung around, you know, that it's all fake and it's not real. And yes, there were some scam ads and weird stuff happening. But honestly, I think most of that has been rooted out. Um, yeah, and you can tell. And I think it goes in line with, with more and more advertising being for good causes and for positive things. So you'd have to be a little bit of a shark to lie about how many children you saved or uh, whatever. And somebody would check, I think, these days. <laughs> so you, you touched upon the topic of our festival good cause you know mm. what's good for you being good you know i guess in people who work in advertising and if they see that other people think that all advertising is fake or if it's uh, an evil uh, business that helps corporations sell more mm. sugary drinks to already obese teenagers uh, you know they look down onto advertising and yeah and we maybe are looking for uh, justification of our career choices ourselves We're trying to push clients to be better. We're trying to be better ourselves. Mm. It really touched me when you, uh, during your presentation, your talk uh, in Palango, and you said, look, okay, so you're going to be working on the brief for secondhand clothing, right? How many of you are wearing secondhand clothing? And I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> mm. I think it was about, what, 40% put their heads up? Uh, yeah, it's some, but some people had bought new clothing, especially for that occasion. Yeah, so like I think, Antonio bought uh, nine <laughs> new black t-shirts. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, he told now we'll got, I'm going to have to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> His scarf is, uh, is probably a bit older. So yes, I'm sure that I'm pretty sure it can yeah, balance these things out. Yeah, yeah. Not old, vintage. Vintage, vintage. <laughs> We work in advertising. Great part, vintage. <laughs> but anyway, my point here yes. was like, So, uh, and you were talking about the LGBT mm. uh, reaction and the, the, the campaign, this reactionary campaign to the uh, death of this journalist. And uh, we have the theme for the festival, which is all about that. We have mm. our main sponsor that's also striving to make the second hand the first choice. Um, do you think there's this um, urge or this uh, need for the people who work in the industry to... Uh, I don't look for what's what's even a redemption, some justification, kind of like a, yeah. uh, morals, uh, yeah. purpose. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, yeah. If I can take that one, I'd also like to hear what you think, Romantis, about that and Georgie. I think that um, for myself, um, obviously, I think it is better to work on something that's going to improve the world. There's just no two ways about that, right? Um, and I've actually gotten to the point in my career where I'm I will turn down work if it doesn't align with my values. 
And um, that's quite weird. And I didn't realize I was at that point until somebody asked me to work on a milk brand and it just came out of my mouth. <laughs> and I said, oh, um, so it's it's dairy. And they said, yes, so you want me to get people to buy more dairy? And they said, yes. And I said, well, I'd much rather that they bought a milk alternative like soy. So I'm sorry, I can't work on that. Hmm. And I was like... I didn't know I would say that. So I was like, wow, oh, well, I think I know where I stand now. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, you know, some people I've I've mentioned or had this discussion with, they say, oh, but Claire, you know, you're further into your career. You've got the luxury of saying that. And I said, no, it's not a luxury. It also hurts my bottom line. It's, it's a, a principle choice. that costs you money. So it actually a principle. And it can start at any right? time. And the more people that have the principle, the less dairy, smoking, hamburgers, whatever will be out there. And I think it's something that agencies can learn from. I mean, a lot of them talk good and uh, want to, you know, promote doing good. But then in the background, they might have a dairy client or an oil company or, you know, something like that. And I totally get this um, idea that you have to make money and you have to pay the bills. Um, but then the least you could be doing is trying to figure out how that dairy client could be better, you know, or what could they support or what social issues could they uh, promote or work on. And yeah, and I think, as I said in my talk, I think now agencies are having discussions with their own uh, staff and employees about what can they work on, what do they want to work on, and I think that's amazing. I mean, it could cause some kind of, you know, brand apartheid <laughs> and, uh, you know, left and right wing brands. I don't know how that's going to go. I mean, people think I'm joking when I say there's going to be a backlash of right wing brands, but there is. You mm. know, it's like liberal brands have taken over and soon we're going to have the, you know, I don't know, pro-abortion or uh, anti-Black Lives Matter ice cream. You know, it's just a matter of time, um, which is quite depressing. But yeah, so I think doing social good makes us feel better as creatives. I think it um, justifies our careers. Um, I do think it also helps us sell it to people who are not in advertising. Like you said, I mean, they think it's evil personified. That we're trying to get people to eat bad things and uh, buy washing powder we don't need and all these kind of things. Um, but it's, uh, yeah. But I do think it's honestly gone too far. Now it's like you can only do good advertising and, you know, if you're not saving the planet, then what are you doing? And at the end of the day, we have to sell uh, soaps, hair, shampoo, you know. So we are faking the good. No, I think I think it can happen, but I just think that it's almost becoming they're only really talking about the good that they're doing, but what about brands that just need to be sold? You know, like the other day I bought a, a cover for my mobile phone uh, so that it can be underwater. It's a it's a bag that you put underwater. And I thought, wow, if you had to do ads for this, it would be so cool. Like, what a cool campaign to give to my students. And then I thought, but it's not good. Oh, no, no, but think about it. No, but it's, it's not the reason why I wouldn't do it. But I'm just saying that's kind of the where we're at. And, and I think there's been a lot of discussion around this uh, at Cannes lately and a guy called Nick Asprey has written a really good article about purpose and advertising and where are we at. And uh, what I like about his article is he's really questioning it. Like, is it right in a very clever way? He's not just, I find that it has two sides, you know, either somebody saying, oh, not all that save the planet crap again. And then somebody else saying we have to save the planet. And there doesn't <laughs> seem to be a discussion in between. And I think he, uh, if anyone wants to read his article, I forget the exact title, but his name is Nick Asbury, and um, uh, it was in Creative Review, also on his Slack channel, and um, I would advise that you read that because it's mm. very 360 point of view, and he did a follow-up on that. Um, yeah, so for myself, it does make me feel good, and I've brought good branding into all my courses now, so the students love it. It really makes them feel better when they know that they're doing a, 
milk alternative or a plant-based burger or a low-sugar sweet or non-alcoholic drink. Um, but they smoke, they eat hamburgers, and they don't wear secondhand clothing in real life. So that's step two. <laughs> okay, good. Now, I have a question for you. So imagine, uh, so you have an agency of what, 11, 12 people, right? Yeah. Imagine you have a, a half, you have, <laughs> I, I don't know your client portfolio, but imagine you have a client that is, I don't know, selling sausages, be it pork. Or, we actually have those people. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, it's a huge client for you. It's like 50% of your revenue. Mm -hmm. And you hire a new team and uh, the team says, uh, sorry, we're vegan. We won't mm. be able to work on that account. Mm. Uh, what, what do you do? You say, okay, so 50% off of your salary because 50% of the revenue comes from that uh, <laughs> yeah, non-vegan product that you're not willing to work for? Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, those are the questions that I've seen like discussed during like some conferences, like all through my professional life. And I never thought that yeah, this would come real to us in Georgia as well. Like maybe there's that because right now it's not so much about the sausages, it's about the politics, kind of like political parties, and we're not really aligned with any of their agenda directly. But And they sometimes approach us to do a website or maybe a logo which is not d directly like interwoven into their, like what yeah, they're going to say. So in a way, it's kind of like a metaphor to the like sausages. We will work with those people. And we've had that like discussion uh, right away. It's not about the money, I guess. It's not like the essential part. We like, will be able to exist without it but when we think about it it's uh, maybe taking a bit more responsibility as a human being to try to interfere and try to get your like voice heard and maybe without that person around those like people some ideas wouldn't even get like mentioned or noticed so when we talk about the cr creative like responsibility i guess for me it translates into more uh about okay they do like Sausages, you think that's evil, but maybe there is something in this entire like universe, an idea that could you both do and uh, try to you make it good yeah, for the rest of the people or may maybe for your own cause. So in a way, maybe because we're not having those conversations, because we're not like working together, that's why the sausage people are bad because they've never actually thought about making a step towards this so if you have that power if you have this understanding or like knowledge maybe it's a good idea to just talk and then decide so i guess i would have that kind of like conversation first like set up because and with the politics uh it's uh, we hate to work with this, uh, with this kind of like system because we see, I mean, it's way more lies than advertising and that's mm. a very tough, like dark place to be. But maybe there's a way if we can get them to actually do something nice for a while, for at least a campaign, if, if that has a positive impact, I think that's uh, like something that wouldn't have happened without our interference. So mm. that's probably good. But I just want to be clear, I'm no Mother Teresa, right? I've w definitely worked on cigarette brands. I've worked on McDonald's back in the day. So I'm not trying to make like, you know, I'm uh, fully, prin I'm principled now, but it's been quite a long journey and it's not easy. And I think what you're talking about, for example, a meat brand, I think for me, what I would maybe try to do is obviously check how do they produce that meat. So, of course, there's, you know, animal welfare. I'm, I'm not vegetarian, but there's animal welfare. Then there's could it be organic meat? Could it be handled better? I think there's many aspects of that before you True. talk full-on vegan uh, that you can address and try to improve. True. 
What you can also do is try to get them to consider good social initiatives that they could start, you know, so feeding kids in school that don't have enough food or um, aligning it with, let's say, local potato farmers that go well with their meat and supporting them in a campaign. So I do think there are other avenues you can use to try to support them rather than just saying, oh, well, you know, I don't do meat and it's vegan. I'm vegan, so I'm not going to work on it. But yeah, it's quite nuanced. But I think given the choice for myself, I would much rather work on full-on good brands. Mm -hmm. From what you're saying, from what you're both saying, basically, and, uh, I don't know if it's a, maybe it's not a new idea, mm -hmm. but it sounds like, okay, so bad clients should actually go and pitch the agencies trying to promise mm -hmm. how they're going to change and be oh, better. Be wonderful. You know, so, so good clients, yeah, we pitch for them. <laughs> Romantis, <laughs> I think you have just hit on something. So you take like a lot of bad clients and they have to sit in themselves and come up with ways they can be better. Like yeah, They have to convince to you that <gasps> you should work with them yes. because they're going to change. Yes, please. Definitely. Yes, please. yes George and I, we, we buy that. Done. Hey, <laughs> this is like even yeah. without opening yeah, exactly. the chacha bottles. Yeah. Yeah, this is, we don't this need is to drink great. to have yeah. these genius ideas. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know if you realize that. We've been talking for over an hour now. Oh. It's been so much fun and we could continue, but I guess the drop audio will just turn off the lights. <laughs> oh, goddamn. <laughs> so before so they do, fun. we need to open the chacha okay. <laughs> and we do the jingle. And I'm really grateful for you guys that you came here and you decided to accept my invitation to meet at the studio and talk about this. And I don't really regret uh, that we haven't talked about uh, the festival, the work yeah, you judged or anything. It's, an it's just. <laughs> wow, yeah, this is so much fun. Thank you for having us and me especially because when you wrote, I still couldn't believe this is a thing. Still, like, yeah, people are having this, like, stuff in, like, real-life meetings and especially traveling abroad. Uh, but this is, like, so much fun to get to the depth of what we are thinking. But sharing this, yeah, brings a whole new, yeah, yeah kind of, like, lever to understanding our profession and, like, probably like, much of my, my life, what we're doing. This is, like, so much fun. And mm. thank you so much for such an enlightening talk. Yeah, I just want to say thanks for bringing up the whole good branding, good advertising stuff and talking about it and I having it at the festival. It. No, because um, it's super important, you know, we need it. So um, I do, I think I've definitely become more of an activist and I think that I, I've said it a few times, creatives need to start understanding that they are also brands, they are also activists, they are also entrepreneurs, they can also change the world. Exactly. They really can, and it's not it's not a cliche, it's a fact, and they need to stop thinking that they're just copywriters and art directors. Lithuania, Georgia, and South Africa in Ooh. one tiny room. Unbelievable. <laughs> so, uh, Explosive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Achu. Thank you. Achu, Achu. yes. Andon San Saubrebi. Ah, dit is een day, dit is een C, dit is een gesprek, dit is een A, D, C, gesprek. ABC Talks.